Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we begin our series, That's Messed Up. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning, Yellow Box. How you feeling? You, you look good, if I may say so myself. I just want to say again, happy Father's Day to all the biological and spiritual papas in the room. Can we just give them a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I thought we'd start today talking about some of our favorite dysfunctional TV families. Doesn't that sound fun? In fact, why don't you, why don't you turn to the people closest to you, take about 10 seconds and share some of your favorite dysfunctional TV families. I'll pretend to keep time. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's about time. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot. That wasn't that difficult at all, was it? Okay, so how many of you raise your hand if you said maybe the original dysfunctional TV family, the bunkers on the family? Anyone? <laughs> right? Like that mustache should have been the dead giveaway, right? Uh, okay, so raise your hand if you said Sopranos, ultimate dysfunctional, yeah, ooh, washes over the crowd, right? Who knew that trying to balance a real family and a mafia family could lead to some dysfunction, huh? Uh, or my personal favorite dysfunctional TV family, Arrested Development, The Bluths, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Season five is coming, by the way, hooray. Um, my guess, though, is that someone... Somewhere in this room probably mentioned maybe the most dysfunctional TV family of all time. Now, don't touch any of those buttons in front of you for a very important reason, i.e., you are wired into the rest of your family. You have the ability to shock them, and they have the ability to shock... Ah! Why you? Oh, not yet. (laughs) You see, this is what is known as aversion therapy. When someone hurts you emotionally, you will hurt them physically. And gradually you will learn not to hurt each other at all. And won't that be wonderful, Homer? Oh, yes, doctor. Bart, how could you shock your little sister? My finger slipped. (laughs) So did mine. Lisa, stop that. Oh. Oh. No, no, no. Oh. No, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Both, both, if I can. Oh. Uh, that, this is not the way to get healthy. <laughs> can anyone relate? Yeah. In fact, did you know that uh, the creator of The Simpsons, Matt Groening, actually named the characters on the show after members of his own family? Like, how awkward was family dinner in that household? Well, today we're actually going to dive into a story about a family that's way more jacked up than any of those. We're starting a series called That's Messed Up. And the thing about this family that we're going to dive into is they didn't exist on TV. They, they actually existed. And we're going to learn a bit more about a, a man named Joseph. Um, and Joseph is not, this isn't Mary and Jesus Joseph. He actually is from the book of Genesis, the very first book in our Bible. And uh, Joseph, his story actually takes up more real estate in the book of Genesis than any other character in that book. 
But Joseph's family had uh, their fair share of dysfunction. For example, um, Joseph's father, Jacob, had uh, four wives. And here's the shocker. Um, That doesn't work out all that great. In fact, Joseph is one of 12 kids. He's the oldest of two kids born to his favorite wife. So uh, he's got four wives. Uh, Apparently, he has a favorite. So already... There's some dysfunction in this family. And so we pick up this story when Joseph is just 17 years old. And I want us to to think back to when we were 17. It was probably like your senior year of high school, right? And you had the whole world in front of you. And and I want to really, I want to invite you to put yourself in that mindset when, when you had your whole life ahead of you. Because as we unpack Joseph's story, I want us to see our story in his story, because every single one of us has this sacred opportunity, this opportunity to live a life of promise and potential. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus, in his mid-60s most likely, wrote this letter, and here's, here's what he said. He said, for we are God's handiwork, and the word there literally means poem or song, it says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So regardless of your age or your position, every single one of us in this room has the opportunity to live a life of promise and potential. And that doesn't just go away after a certain age. So we'll we'll come back to that passage, but I want to dive into Joseph's story here. The story begins with Joseph returning from caring, with, uh, caring over his family's flocks with his siblings. And the text says that he came and delivered a bad report to his father about his brothers. So our hero's not off to a great start, right? Essentially, what he's doing is tattling on his brothers. But this next verse gives us maybe a little clue as to why. Here's what it says. It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. So apparently, Jacob not only had a favorite wife, he also had a favorite son. All right, so moment of truth. How many of us in this room have a favorite family member? Just, you can be honest. Okay, now if they're here with you, I want you to point them out in the room real quick. Um, I'm just kidding, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. That's gonna be a really awkward lunch afterwards. But like all jokes aside though, favoritism hurts, doesn't it? Like, it? like it can really wound. And yet apparently, Joseph was Jacob's favorite and his brothers hated him for it. Number one dad, right? Here's the dysfunction of the story that we dive into. Now, to make matters worse, Jacob gives Joseph this incredible multicolored coat. Now, like just as a rule of thumb, it's, it's probably not a great idea for dads to dress their teenage sons, just in general. But there's something interesting about this jacket, though. Scholars assert that one of the things that makes it particularly unique is that it had these long sleeves making it impossible to actually carry out the work of hard manual labor. So anyone, anyone wearing a jacket like this would be a person of distinction that didn't have to do the work of laborers. 
So like, like no wonder his brothers hated him, right? And it gets worse. Joseph has these two crazy dreams and has the brilliant idea to actually tell his brothers. The first dream is that they're all um, kind of bundling, they're making bundles of grain and Joseph's bundle uh, rises up and all of Joseph's brother's bundles begin to bow down to his bundle. In the second dream, um, the, the sun, moon, and 11 stars are all bowing down to him. So a, a lot of bowing themes in his dreams. And and he has the brilliant idea of telling his family. Like, can you imagine how that conversation must have gone? Like, hey, hey, guys, I, I had these uh, really crazy dreams I want to tell you about. Um, y'all are going to bow down to me. Isn't that neato? Right? Like, right, guys? Like, you would think he would have the common sense to not share a story like that. Which I think brings up an interesting point. While it's not always the case, aren't, aren't we sometimes the ones responsible for the messiness in our lives? Not, not always, but sometimes though. Aren't, aren't we the one who's responsible? Maybe we spoke a really harsh word. Maybe we came like, like unhinged over some hot button issue online. Like maybe we were just like inattentive to someone close to us. I remember years ago, a guy was in my office and he essentially was, was telling me about like how mean he had been to his wife over the last month. Like just how rude and inattentive and how eventually she had enough and made him sleep on the couch to which he said, well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what that means. Is it possible that maybe you're just a jerk and those are called consequences, right? <laughs> and I know that it's not always the case, but, but isn't it true, though, that sometimes the messiness, the turmoil of our lives is something that, that we ourselves did? And, and when that's the case, I think we need to own it, we need to name it, and we need to confess it. We need to actually speak it and say, I, I, I know that I really crossed the line here. I, knew that, I know that I really messed up there. Anyway, back, back to our story. So um, this, this baggage kind of continues to pile up. And the brothers have kind of had it, so they decide to take him out and not to, like, dinner and a movie. The jealousy eventually just becomes too much for them, and they're consumed by their jealousy. Now, I, I don't think I need to convince anyone in this room that, like, jealousy is, it's an incredibly destructive thing, isn't it? Like, when it really, when it grips our heart, um, it can do some real damage. I, it can destroy marriages, it can ruin careers, it, it can alienate us from friends, and it can even eventually strip us of joy. I think it's easy to let jealousy kind of creep in because a lot of times it's, it's kind of subtle, right? But I think jealousy can creep in when like someone gets recognition that you believe you deserved or when someone buys a house or a car or a vacation that you've always dreamt of. Or it might, it might be something as simple as like feeling left out of relationships that you've longed for. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I've been there with all of those. And it's, it's ugly. When that, when that jealousy kind of creeps in and starts to, starts to grip your heart, it can do some real damage. 
So this is already kind of bubbling beneath the surface for Joseph's brothers. So, so Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers. And uh, this, is, this is where things get really messed up. So as, as Joseph approaches, his brothers devise a plan. And uh, here's how that goes. It says, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. So they're like, they're not even using his, his name now at this point. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Which is a, that's a weirdly specific plan, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of details. Just then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, this was an older brother, uh, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said, which is a real great counteroffer. How about we don't kill our brother? Uh, don't shed any blood. Instead, let's throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, this richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. So like, Joseph is likely oblivious. So, so he's just sort of like skipping toward him, right? They tackle him, take this robe, uh, and then they throw him into this well. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And I think that, that extra detail was included just to make sure that we know um, this was a painful encounter. Like he didn't have like a nice, a nice thing of water to kind of catch his fall. He's chucked into this well and now he's at the bottom of this well. And you thought your kids didn't get along, right? <laughs> That's maybe even worse than the Simpsons. And the, the text doesn't actually tell us, but like, what do you think Joseph was thinking when he's in the bottom of this well? What would you think? First, first off, he's probably confused. Like what just happened? But as that kind of, as the reality starts to settle in, he's probably distraught. He's probably terrified. He was, he was probably overwhelmed. He was probably a little heartbroken. And can't, can't we sometimes find ourselves at the bottom of a proverbial well? Like, isn't that true of our lives at times? Maybe, maybe someone, that's, that's your story today. You feel like you're at the bottom of the well and you're wondering, how am I supposed to get out? What am I supposed to do? And, and you feel stuck. You, you feel truthfully unsure about how, what am I supposed to do Next, if, if that's you this morning, I, I want to say, take heart. Take heart. You are not alone in that. So shortly after Joseph is thrown into this well, um, some slave traders headed to Egypt, passed by. And so the brothers say, hey, why don't we sell the little dreamer boy into slavery? And so they did. They sell their brother as a slave for like a, a handful of silver. Now that's messed up, right? That's seriously messed up. And they don't stop there. Remember the coat that they took? They then kill a goat and they dip his coat, this robe, in the blood of the goat and they bring it to their father and say, hey dad, we found this jacket. Do you think it might be Joseph's? Now don't, don't miss this because it's, it's subtle but significant. One sin leads to another sin. There's the obvious sin, 
but now they're deceiving their father. And I can't help but wonder if they maybe patted themselves on the back because they didn't outright say, hey, we did this. It was sort of a, hey, do you think this, this might be Joseph's robe? And there's, there's kind of a sad irony to all of it, to be honest, because Jacob years earlier had deceived his father to earn the blessing that was rightfully his brother's using the meat of a goat. And now years later, his own children are deceiving him using the blood of a goat. And what's, what's kind of amazing to me is they, they go on with this lie for years. Like it, it's, it's hard enough to keep a secret, isn't it? Like I can't even keep a surprise birthday party to myself, let alone something like this. Do not tell me. I am not good with that. But they continue with this lie for years. Like they have wives, they have kids. No one slips up. Like old Jacob doesn't find out. And what's even more messed up is they know where he's at. They know that they were going to Egypt. They know that their brother is in Egypt and they never say or do anything about it. Maybe, maybe that's not so surprising, actually. One of the things that we know about personal and family dysfunction is that it's often built on secrets. Like secret addictions, Secret debt, secret abuse, secret hurt. And I know there are people in this room that can relate. Often these dysfunctions are built on secrets. And in this part of the story, Joseph's future looks pretty grim. Now I know some of you are probably thinking, uh, wow, great story, Ian. Now I'm depressed. Thanks. So glad I showed up today. Well, as I mentioned, we know that Joseph eventually becomes this great biblical hero, but, but we're not there yet. But what we will learn in diving into his story is that no matter what Joseph did or what was done to him, he was never disqualified from living a life of promise. And here's what I want you to get. That same thing is true for us. I would say it this way. That no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are, what's the word? Oh, come on, church, what's that word? Never disqualified from living a life of promise. Never. You are never disqualified from living a life of promise. Maybe, maybe you look back on your life and you think of, like really bad choices that you made and, and you've started to believe that God can no longer use you. Maybe something was done to you and you're at a point in your life where you don't feel worth much. You, you can't imagine how God could use you. Or maybe, maybe it's neither of those for you. Maybe you just simply are feeling like, you know, I, I just, I'm kind of coasting. I know that I'm not living up to the full potential of what God has for my life. Maybe it's, busyness, maybe it's apathy, but you know like in your heart of hearts that God has more for you. Wherever you find yourself today, know that God wants to do a work in and through you beyond anything that you could ever dream or imagine, regardless of how messy your life may seem right now. 
makes me think, when, uh, years ago, I used to do a lot more painting, and I would, I would try to build things with wood, try being the operative word, because I was, I was really bad at both. And because I was bad at both, like any workstation that I had was always just, it was chaos. It was a total mess. And if anyone were to ever like, like walk into the room while I was in the middle of a project, they almost always would say something like, whoa, what is the mess in here, right? But I'll be honest though, like it never, it never seemed like a mess to me because I knew what it was becoming. Like to anyone else, it seemed like chaos, but like I, I knew that I was in the middle. I could, I could already see it in my mind what it was becoming. Is it possible that God feels that same way about us? That you might look at it and say, this is a mess. This is chaos. How could anyone see any beauty here? But God says, yeah, 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 but I see what you're becoming. I see what I'm leading you toward. I see how this story ends. So how did Joseph keep moving forward? Well, I want to leave you just with two quick truths that I think will be helpful for us today. Number one, God was with him. God was with him. We'll see next week that, that Joseph ends up in the home of uh, one of the most powerful officers in Pharaoh's administration. But he remembers, though, that God was with him. He clung to that truth. And isn't that reassuring for us today? That that, that means there's, there's, never, there's never a mountain that you'll have to climb that he won't be right by your side. There's, there's never a, a darkness that you're going to have to face that he won't be with you. There's never a, a challenge or an obstacle that God won't be whispering, I am here, ever. There's never a case where we are far than, to, so far that God can't bring us close. He's with us. He's by our side. And I think that Joseph was able to move forward amidst some pretty messed up circumstances because he clung to the fact, whether it's the bottom of a well or being sold into slavery, God is still with me. And God is still with you. and He's still with us. Truth number two is that God was faithful to his promise. God was faithful to his promise. I, I don't think going from like favored son to slave is on any of our to-do lists. That's not the dream that we would write for ourselves. And yet Joseph believed that God was still working in his life. That's the amazing truth for all of us, that he is faithful even when we falter, even when we waver. Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter two? It says, we are God's handiwork, his poem, his song created in Christ Jesus to do good works, works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Later, Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and he said it this way. He said, I am certain that God, certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally, what's the word? Finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, the Apostle Paul does not use the word certain all that often. In fact, he uses the word mystery a lot. He says, there are a few things that I'm certain of. And that if God has called you to something, if he's stirred in your heart, if he's given you new life, he's not 
going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you to figure it out for yourself. God finishes what he starts. And regardless of what story brought you in here this morning, some of you maybe came with high expectations, others maybe with no expectations at all. I hope that you hear this, that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you with an unthinkable love, and he wants to do a powerful, miraculous work in and through you. We get to be a part of that. That's miraculous that he would allow us to join him in any way, shape, or form, and yet he looks at us individually and says, son, daughter, I have so much more for you. And at times, it's so much easier to throw in the towel, right? Just call it quits. And I honestly think that's what the enemy wants. God's not afraid of our frustration. He's not afraid of our doubt. He's not even afraid of our anger. But I, I beseech you, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Because no matter what you've done, or what's been done to you. You are never disqualified from living a life of promise. I would maybe say it this way. Don't just do what you're able to do. Do what you were made to do. Don't don't just coast. Don't let defeat anger, apathy, have the last word. Don't, don't just survive. Don't just do what you're able to do. Do what you were made to do. Because God has called every single one of us to a life of potential and promise. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that in Christ... We are new creations. And we're no longer enslaved to the things of the past. You call us into a newness of life, a resurrected life. So God, I I pray for anyone in this room who's maybe feeling disqualified for any reason, that you would speak hope and strength and courage and life into their hearts. That we as a community would look each other in the eye and say, God's not done with you yet. It's not done with me yet. May we not quit but persevere and help us to walk more fully into the life that you have for us. We thank you. We love you. And we pray all of these things in the beautiful, the healing, the powerful name of Jesus.